0: You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Now, obviously, I am not the preacher. I am preaching tonight. Uh, Let me tell you where Matt is at. Uh, Matt is in uh, Brenham. Uh, about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, when he called and he says, I got a commitment on this Sunday, would you be able to preach? I said, I guess I could. What do you got? He is at a wedding ceremony in Brenham, Texas, there to be married at 1130 this morning. Uh, I thought that was a little weird, but on the other hand, that's what he was. So he went down for practice yesterday, and he and his wife are down there this morning. So that's not why, that's not why he's not here this morning. It turns out that the bride is a former uh, person that he discipled uh, along with the rest of the youth group. at his previous church over in the Houston area, and so they're getting together to get married, and so he's happy to do that. Um, one of the other areas that uh, I get a little nervous about, the last time I preached, uh, I found out afterwards that the cameras froze, and there a, was a picture on Facebook that was like this, and it stayed there and went the whole, whole time. And so I told Matt afterwards, I says, I'm not going to do that anymore. So uh, this is the, that was last March, I believe, at that point. And uh, so hopefully it's working. And those that are online, uh, we appreciate you being online. And as we minister God's word this morning, uh, we want to uh, share that uh, with you. Back in the early 50s, um, and I'm not going to tell you how old I was, I was very young. Um, TV was just coming onto the scene in a big way. And it wasn't color, it was black and white. And it wasn't HD, it was just a kind of a, call it just a, we thought it was great. And we lived uh, in the west, one of the first uh, uh, suburbs outside Minneapolis at the time. And we had a neighbor two doors down that had a television set. And man, we thought, yeah, man, I want to get a television set. This is great. And most, and probably 50, well, probably 75% of the people didn't have television. And um, so on Friday nights, there was a Gillette cavalcade of sports. And my dad had done a little bit of boxing when he was in high school, and so he kind of was enthused. About enthusiastic about into the boxing area, and so we would go over there and we say, uh, uh, "Could could I bring my two boys with me?" And oh yeah, yeah. So my brother Steve and I we would sit on the floor, and we would watch at nine o'clock, the boxing match, and at ten o'clock it was over with, and we'd go on home. And there was one man that caught my attention, and uh, he had always had. He was a he was a he was a, he was a, a black man. But he always had white shorts and he always had boots that were white boots. And you know him as Muhammad Ali. That was Cassius Clay in those days. And let me tell you something, folks, he knew how to box. And it was interesting when I was looking at it on the internet today, guess who is the number one boxer in all of boxing history? Muhammad Ali. Cassius Clay. And you know that he had a big mouth, and he used to tell everybody what? He was the greatest! I'm the greatest! And for a long time, nobody could prove otherwise till somebody did come along and take him down a notch or two. And we sometimes today, we always like to go to see who is the greatest person that ever lived. And in our passage that we have today, which is in, in uh, John's chapter three, Uh, uh, We want to start at verse uh, 7. I might have to change my glasses a little bit because I've got to end up reading and I have trouble with those other ones, so we'll go from there. Uh, We're going to be starting at verse uh, 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 22. Um, Had you ever, ever thought about who's greatest? In the boxing area, Colasius Clay thought he was good. By the way, he was very good. I always enjoyed watching him. But we have people today that say, I am the greatest. And that issue came up uh, in the dealings that Christ had, and he was on earth, with the people around him. Um, If you've ever had a discussion at one of your your meals where you have people over and you have a discussion, and and you ask this question, except for Jesus Christ, who is the greatest person who ever lived, and what made him or her great? And I can assure you that in that discussion, when they cut to chase, everybody's got a different opinion as to what somebody is great about. How do you know they're great? I think this person's great. No, this person's great. And you have a friendly, shall we say, argument at that point. So what happens is this, my standards are not yours or yours are not mine, and so there is a lively discussion. Now, <laughs> hopefully nobody's gonna get hurt but it could get kind of rough if, at that point, too, as you do that a little bit. And it was very interesting that Jesus answered that question Who is the greatest? Uh, you remember some of the great people of the Old Testament, and uh, you talk about Abraham, the father of the faith. You talked about um, Moses. What did Moses do? He led the people out of the nations of Israel, out of Egypt, out of bondage. And then there's David. David, a man who killed a bear with his hand, killed a lion. And then what did he do? Takes his slingshot and gets rid of the Goliath. Those are pretty great people, as far as I'm concerned. And then there's other people like uh, he skipped uh, David. David, uh, we talked about David and what he did. And by the way, he became one of the greatest kings uh, for Israel. And then there's uh, Daniel. What do we remember Daniel? What? Daniel in the lion's den. And we know that Daniel, God was with him and put him in a very high position later on in his life. There's Noah. There's Samuel. I think about Samuel. Greatest prophet that basically lived. Said that in Isaiah, Solomon, and so forth. And all those people who were contemporaries. And what did God say? He said, but you are the, the, the uh, excuse me, um, All of those are to say, and if you turn to Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, here's what it says. This is the Lord speaking. Truly I say to you, among those born of a woman, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. You say, huh? After all that list and that's the way we are? Well, that's what God has a, God's plan is so much different sometimes than our plan. What we want to do is not what God wants us to do. And so when you say that, truly I say to you, among those born of a woman, there was none risen greater than John the Baptist. And that's over in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. Now John didn't have necessarily the qualifications that we, or qualities, that we determined to be great. It's always amazing to me how that we have our own set of standards to what makes somebody great. God says, nah, it's over here. And so what happens is you look at him, what he was, he he wasn't born in the rich and famous. That's what we look at for today. You got the pedigree. You came from a rich home. You went to the right school. You it. You obviously are a good leader. He didn't have any of that. And he um, he chose the solitude of the desert. He was raised in the desert. By the way, you know what his tire was? Basically, he wore camel, you know, camel skin. And that's, I mean, he, he didn't even have good clothes. And he was raised at that point. He, he didn't raise through what we today would say, well, you were raised in a rich family, you went to the right college, and you have all the right creditments, and therefore you must be great. No, all of that was exactly wrong, that's right. And somebody could, could actually accuse him of being a little bit austere by himself. But nevertheless, when it came down to it, regardless of what you think of him and his condition, what does Jesus say? The greatest man that was born of a woman. So I think it heeds us to, to find out what his job was, and we're going to be looking at that in this passage that we have this morning. See, John was a forerunner. What's a forerunner do? basically prepares the actual person to come in behind him. The actual person was Jesus himself. So he was the forerunner. He came and prepared the way for, for, for Jesus, who was to follow him. And it's interesting that you would expect him to be kind of a really a big time, big shot. He's not. Lives in the desert. Has camel hair. Nobody really recognized him that much. But God says he prepared the way. And when God says that I truly there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. So that's the kind of person we're talking about today. Now, if he was the forerunner of Christ, what was his responsibility? And there was three of them. First of all, he was to clear the way so that Jesus could have his ministry. That was the first thing he did. Number two, he was preparing the way. He basically was setting the stage for Christ to do his ministry in, 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 at that time. And then the last one, which I was going to get a kick out of when I look at this and that, is that and then what was his third one? Get out of the way. Now, most of us would say, what do you mean? If you're a good leader, you've got to stand in the way. You've got you to be involved. You've got to have your name out there. This, this, this product was done, and you want your name at the bottom. You know, clear the way, prepare the way. And get out of the way. That's what John did. So we're going to uh, look at uh, John chapter 3. That's what we've got today. And we're going to start at verse 22 and read a couple of verses. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. John also was baptizing in Aaron near Siloam because there was much water there, and people were coming and were being baptized for John had not yet been thrown in prison. Um, These things, when it talks about after these things, you need to look back and and, and Matt's two sermons from the last two weeks will tell you about the things. The beginning of this chapter was, what did he have? He had a very, very big uh, uh, conversation with uh, Nicodemus. He had cleansed the temple in the previous chapters. And then later on, we're going to find out that he turns, turns the water to wine. These are the ministries that Jesus had at this particular time. And it was so it's after these things, after these, he also had, if you remember Nicodemus last week, we talked about my favorite verse, John 3:16. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. By the way, I think that's King James. I don't I learned that when I was a kid long ago. Um, so John had his ministry basically on the outside, if you will, and, he, and, and, and at this particular time, Jesus was spending most of his time with his disciples up in the Galilee area. And I've sometimes wondered, as I've looked at that, since i studying this, but I've wondered all along, here you have two people, one Christ and one John, and he says, I'm, I'm not the Messiah. I'm the forerunner. And there had to be, on the disciples' side, a little bit of conflict, if there will. And unfortunately, there probably was a little bit of conflict because we're going to see in a few minutes that not all was going well on, on that particular point. Um, for, now, I want to I call your attention to the last sentence in that first um, paragraph we read, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Uh, Most of us know what happened, but I'm going to basically explain what happened. He had not been thrown in prison yet, but here's what happened over in chapter 14 of Matthew, and at that time Herod the Tetrarch heard the news about Jesus and said to him, this is John the Baptist. The risen from the dead, and that has been miracle and powers were worked for him. For when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison. Now, what is the reason that he did that? If you read on, you'll find that Herodias, his wife, was actually married to Herod's stepbrother, Philip, and she was his nephew, aunt, whatever the case may be. In other words, an insensual sigil. And guess who calls him out on this? John says, for John had been saying, it is not lawful for you to have her. Boy, when, when, when a person like John calls out the leading political figure, you know, there's going to be war out there. So when the birthday came, verse 6, came the daughter Herodias. She danced before them, and it pleased Herod. So much so that he promised her with a note to give her whatever she asked. By the way, there's maybe a little, there's a, there's maybe a little truth to this one to say, don't ever promise a kid something and then try to renege on it because it doesn't work. Don't promise them something you can't deliver at that point. So he likes the dance. And so he says um, uh, before him, so much they promised with a note to give her whatever she wanted, again, Don't start doing that kind of thing. Hilter, skelter, it'll cost you. Having been prompted by her mother, she said, give me, her mother tells her what to do now, give her, give me, here on a platter, the head of John the Baptist. And you know the rest of the story. King was not very happy about it. But what happened? He had made an oath. He swore by it. So they went out, and he basically took John's head off and that's why, in the portion that we read, he was in—he was still alive at that particular point. But very quickly after that, he was, uh, his head was delivered on a platter, uh, to uh, Herod's wife's daughter. At that point, tragic ending at that point for somebody that was to prepare the way. Um, then you go back and and uh, you look at what did John do while he was there before he was uh, beheaded. There are three things that he did. Um, he First of all, his job was to clear the way for who? For Jesus. And so he was to prepare the way. Clear the way, prepare the way. And then I like the last one. And then he said, get out of the way. You know, so many of us today, we want to be involved from start to finish. And somehow that last section was, I can take pride in what I have done. John wasn't that kind of a guy. He prepared the way, and he got cleared the way, prepared the way for Jesus, and then he got out of the way. Now, admittedly, obviously, if your life is taken, then you are out of the way, but uh, there's some sequential issues there as well. Um, Let's read uh, the next section, verse 25. Therefore, there there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. Um, and they came to John and said, Rabbi, he who has been with you beyond Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he's baptizing and all are coming to him. So what do we have? We have the beginnings of basically you and me, him and her. You have the disciples coming and say, uh, John, uh, tell you what, uh, things are not going as well as he used to go. Because when Jesus, when they were baptizing, John was what? A forerunner. He was baptizing people and preparing him for, for the way. And as a result of that, John, uh, uh, John was doing the job that he was called to do. And so all of a sudden, his disciples kind of dissipated. And guess where they were going? They were going over to Jesus. Um I think sometimes we, we are we, I hope that we are not pied pri, pipers um, uh, where we end up trying to uh, follow the leader. We need to have our own, our own set of values. Make your own trip at that point. But whatever the case may be, John's influence evidently started fading, and it was moving to Jesus. And the disciples come to John and say, hey, we need to do something about this was that sound untypical typical today in terms of following people. We need to change the venue, we need, to, we need to up the ante, we need to pay more, we need to do this, we need to do that, so the group will stay together. That's not what it says here. Notice in verse 27, John answered and said, "It's a great answer, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from the Father. Where was John's eyes? He was, was on Christ. His eyes were on a heavenly perspective, not a local, oh, man, we're losing, our, we're losing our congregation. We need to go out and have another big revival and get them to come. No. He says, you can't. He said, uh, uh, a man, uh, I'm sorry here. I answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it be given him from heaven. Very, very true. So one of the things I think that we talk about is that we're looking from from lessons of this. We want to talk a little bit about these latter part of the chapters. So in terms of some principles, all leaders serve at God's pleasure. Sometimes that we have people and you can see them on television periodically that basically they said they're called of God, but I think they're called of themselves because everything is about them, nothing about the Lord. So the first thing is this, that he said, uh, of that he is a, um, everything belongs to the Lord and he is sovereign right to give or take as he desires. And that's exactly what he said when he said, A man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven. Number two, verse 28 You yourselves are my witness. I am not the Christ, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the, is the bridegroom has the excuse me he who has the bride is a bridegroom but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's jo- voice let me explain a little bit what that means in those, those days they had a wedding uh and I, and they called by the the friend of the bridegroom and I would call him and I think probably all of us would say the best man and his was not just to stand up and say hey you're my buddy and you're getting married His job was to basically stand by the wedding uh, ensemble bedroom, if you will, and keep people out. That was one of his jobs. And so it says it was great when, when he heard, not the bride's, she may already be in the room, but when the bridegroom came, what did he do? He stepped aside and let them have the kingdom. That's what he was trying to say is this. That was the mission that John had as basically a foreteller. When the time came, he stepped aside and let Jesus have his ministry. John must have felt in crisis that his disciples failed to hear the primary message. Disciples never really understood what his whole ministry was about. Um, he clearly stated that he was not the Messiah, but the forerunner, he explains by saying, and then he uses his example of the, of the friend of the bridegroom at that point. And that's what happens as we start that area. Verse 31. Let's go back and hit verse 40, um, verse 30, I may have missed that one. He said, he must increase, but I must decrease. What, you, what was he basically saying to John? I'm, I, I, I'm nothing. I got to decrease. Don't go, go, come follow me. Follow Christ. That's the important thing. He must increase. I must decrease. And then in verse 31, he who comes from above is above all. And he who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard, he has testified, and no one receives his testimony. For whom God has sent sparks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. And I'm going to stop right there for a minute. See, Jesus Christ is the author of the truth. And, th- and, th- and, and any comp- there is no competition. The problem is people wanted to make it a competition. John understood exactly what his mission was, and he carried it out immaculately at that point. I think that's a very, very important thing. Um, and then in verse 35 um, and 36... Uh, he finishes up and he says, um, I'm in trouble I'm reading, I get in bed. Um, the Father loves the Son and has given all things unto his hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God, Abides on him. See what happened. Basically, is this John's disciples came and said, "We're losing our numbers. We're losing our count. What are you going to do?" And John says, "No, that's not it. We're not here for numbers. I'm here to prepare the way for God Himself. Jesus is going to be coming. Has come, and He is to be going to be the power, if you will, that's going to run the show." And human nature always simply says, "Well, John, we've been ba- we've been disciples as yours a long time. You don't like it so much because now more people are going to see Jesus than they come to us. What are we going to do? We going to have a job?" Sometimes I think we act the same way. We instead of trusting the Lord to supply our needs, we're going to supply it for us at that particular point in time. So, so let's look at um, let's look at some application, uh, if you will, that we can look at. All leaders serve at God's pleasure. Notice in verse um, uh, 27. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given from him from heaven. Boys, isn't that something that we need to be thinking about at that point? Um, they, we, we, we serve at God's pleasure. Sometimes we're going to say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to run this, I'm going to run that. And that's not the way it works, because we serve at the pleasure of our Lord. If you were to turn over to Psalm 75, there's two verses over there that I think talks a little bit about the respect that we have in terms of of how we handle ourselves in front of people. For not from the east nor from the west, nor from the desert comes exaltation. But God is the judge, and here's the kicker. He puts that one down and he exalts another. Sometimes we, we want to be exalted. We don't want to be put down. So we're going to make ourselves in a position where we think we've exalted people. And you got a person over here that's committed to the Lord that does not think too much of himself, not a public speaker. But what happens? God blesses him because he's got the spirit to trust and, and honor God. Um, number two, serving joy comes from serving God not for one's title or job description. I have always been amazed uh, at that sometimes uh, because uh, we we think you have to have the right credentials. Everything's going to be fine when you've got letters behind your name. Not necessarily. Remember now the example that he gave about the bride and the bridegroom. What was that... What was the bridegroom, excuse me, what was the best man's job? To guard the room that the bride was gonna be in and the bridegroom that was gonna join him. That was his responsibility and he carried it out great. And sometimes we think that um, uh, it's not on terms of what your job description is, is who you serve at that point. Then number three, genuine and, and humani- humility calls attention to Christ, not self. Boy, that's a, that's a tough one, isn't it? We want to call our attention. You know who I am? I'm the pastor over at the first Umpty Ump Church. That's who I am. You do that too many times and people aren't going to come anymore. Why? Because they think that you own the people. You're going to tell the people what to do. And what Jesus is trying to say is keep your perspective as who you are serving. You're serving God Almighty at that point. It tells us when we call when we call attention to Christ, things will happen. Verse twenty-eight and twenty-nine. Now we've really kind of covered those, so I'll kind of let him go go over that one at that point. The Son of God is the supreme ruler of all that exists. Um, excuse me. Let's move back down to this other one. Joy comes from serving God, not from one's job title or job description. We just talked about that. Three, genuine humility calls attention to Christ, not self. How many PTV preachers that you've watched call themselves, put their attention on Christ but don't call any attention to themselves? I did this. I did that. We did this. It's not about them. It's not about their church. It's about what we want to do to serve God. And sometimes I think we, we forget that just a little bit at that point. See, he avoided those traps. And that's what's kind of beauty about John. You know, if there's anybody that had a right to say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm the Baptist, I'm a big, do- big dog. He didn't. He just said I'm nothing. I'm here as a forerunner. Christ, who's behind me, is the one that you need to be looking at. And sometimes I think we kind of forget that just a little bit and try to... He recognized that God owns it all and deserves all the glory. Therefore, we find our greatest joy in fulfilling our purpose to glorify God and fully enjoy him forever. Well, those are great words, by the way. That's our job. Is it anyone wonder that Jesus said he is a great man? Sometimes I think we forget that a little bit. Uh, we look at that and we say, well, John was just here. He was... a." kind of a forerunner, kind of did his thing. But when, when, when Christ himself said, of all women born, he's the greatest. Boy, that puts some emphasis to who he really was and what he was doing. Um, John the Baptist avoided all the traps that we all fall into. He coached, He coached nothing and released everything to the Lord. His following, his popularity, his will. He recognized that God owns it all and deserves all the glory. Therefore, we find the greatest joy in fulfilling our purpose, to glorify God and fully enjoy him forever. Is it any wonder that Jesus considered himself great? We, we look back and we say, you know, how, how does all that work out? Well, there may be some people here this evening that maybe this morning have not really been able to say, you know, I need to commit to the Lord this way. And We'll have a time in a few minutes as we pray. You may need to recommit yourself to do things to follow for the Lord and maybe change a little bit of our habits. Sometimes we get messed up and we get down the same trail and we go down the same road. We need to maybe a little bit of a correction. Or if those are those that need to come and say, yes, I need to profess my faith and trust because Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Whatever the case may be, Uh, this is your opportunity to do that as we uh, close in a word of prayer.